But again, this week we're just kind of talking about how do we uh, learn to grow in our relationships together, our marriages and our families, how do we grow in the relationships that God has entrusted to us in church families. And again, regardless of where you're at in your phase of life, believe these truths can be applied to you in these ways. We talked to men last night looking at the example of courageous leaders from Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. And again, I believe there's a lot of things that we uh, can begin to talk and unpack through, uh, specifically the ladies tonight, but it helps specifically men when we're leading well in these ways courageously that we unpacked last night. So I think putting those truths to heart will help in these ways. Again, tonight, ladies, it's your turn on um, this idea of, of what a woman of God looks like. But I want to look at a first part of Ephesians 5. Uh, again, we looked at verse 22 last night, but I think this is specifically in reference to how we interact in our marriage relationships, the first part there, verse 21, is just equally as important to think about in the context of this. Ephesians 5, 21 says this, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. Okay, as you begin your marriage and family relationships, as you begin to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, that's the best starting point that we can have, being able to come under Christ's leadership and direction, and then submitting mutually to one another to be able to follow Christ's example, willing to humble ourselves and walk in obedience these ways is a great starting point. Again, tonight we're going to look at uh, what ladies look like. We're calling this message tonight Fierce Influencers from Titus 2. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Titus 2 tonight. That's where we'll begin. Uh, pages 24 or 25, somewhere in the back of your uh, summit notebooks is where you can find to take some notes tonight. Mags, why don't you talk a little about what a woman of God uh, looks like and what we see in the world around us today. So uh, I think when we look around, uh, we can see that today's woman can be described as overwhelmed, weighed down by a multitude of anxieties within her, stretched thin by the responsibilities that are before her, and basically stressed, just stressed out. Uh, this one lady, last trip, we were in Lebanon, Ohio, and uh, she shared her story with us. She, her name is Adrian. She says, I always prided myself on being an overachiever and a hard worker. I am a mom of two toddlers a full-time nurse in an adult psychiatric unit. I am in five committees at work, responsible for all the scheduling, and I'm also in school to become a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. Just days before this conference, I had a meltdown. I kind of had to laugh. I wasn't laughing in a mean way, but I'm thinking she's, she's like her whole job is to help people who are like men like emotionally unstable and she's getting to this place where she's like emotionally unstable and I'm like raising my hand over here. Um, she says, I'm overwhelmed and I'm unhappy. On Sunday night, Greg spoke about idolatry and the reality is I've been using my career and my being number one and building my resume all as an idol. I never saw it as such. I just thought that's my personality. It's time now to balance my life better for Jesus, for my family, and for myself. Thank you, Life Action, for coming this week. And I think as I read that, we all, all of us women, we're like, we can raise our hand. We all feel a little bit crazed and stressed out, and we want to figure it out. We want to know how to have peace. How to, is there any kind of balance? Um, so ladies, how do we do that practically? There is so much pressure on us, I feel like in our society, um, to do it all. You have to do it all, and you have to be it all. And not only do you have to do it all, and you have to be it all, but then you actually have to do it all perfectly, and you have to be it all perfectly for everyone. And then we wonder why we don't have any peace, and why we're having meltdowns and, and emotional breakdowns. So 
How do we sort out what our purpose is? Yeah, so ladies, we want you to know that you cannot miss how important and essential your role is to the life of your marriage, to your family, to your church family, and to the world around you. We hope you catch that vision, that picture tonight that we're going to try to paint for you. You are vital to the life and sustainment of your marriage. You are vital to your families and so needed by your church, your society, and the world. We believe that women in our world around us today are fierce influencers. I'm here today because I've been surrounded in my life with women that fiercely influenced my life in a positive way. A mom that's done that, a grandmother that's done that, now Maggie in my life and also her mom in ways have been fiercely influential in my life to help shape who I am today. Ladies, don't miss out how that a role you play in this. Uh, Maggie, why don't you talk a little bit about what it means to be fierce, why we chose this word. So we chose fierce because when we look at the scriptures, we feel like it really paints this picture. Fierce could mean having or displaying a bold or intense determination. It's the idea that we've got this fire inside of our bones, which is a quality we really need. Uh, we need to be paying attention. It also means showing a heartfelt intensity. So as women, uh, we need a Holy Spirit vigor and passion burning inside of us that enables us to habitually show up every day and help the people that God has given to us. Now, when I was first married, I had some weird views, honestly, of what the, a biblical woman looked like. And I'll just give you a couple examples. Um, I, I told you I was adopted on seven, but from seven on, I grew up in the church. And um, even growing up in a church, you can get some strange notions of what God, who God is and what he requires of you. And so I remember when we were first married, I'd get up at six in the morning because Brent was getting up at six in the morning. I need to make him breakfast. Well, I was probably getting up at seven. Let's be honest, yeah. Yeah, I would think I was trying to be really godly, so I was getting up before you, and I was making breakfast, eggs and toast and all that, and I was exhausted because we were staying up late watching movies, and so, and then um, I knew a godly woman was a hospitable woman, so um, I'd have people over to my house, but I literally would scrub every surface in my house. I would wash the windows, everything. And I was, I was driving myself insane, and I was driving Brent insane. And um, one night, I can remember, I was like midnight, Brent's in bed. He's like, are you coming to bed? And I'm like, no, I'm not. And he's like, what are you doing out there? And I was sitting on the couch, and I remembered that that day I was supposed to write a grocery list because the next day we're supposed to go grocery shopping. And a really godly woman gets all her ducks in a row, you know. So I had all this stuff to catch up on. And Brent's like, so you're going to, like, come to bed? I'm like, no, I'm writing a list. I'm making a grocery list. And he was like, can you do that tomorrow? No, it's not on the list for tomorrow. <laughs> it's on the list for today. And I was this angry biblical woman, you know. And Brent reminded me, like, I, I think it can wait till tomorrow. But what I found out was um, I was putting all this junk on myself. And what I thought other people required of me, what I thought he required of me, what I, which he didn't, he, we just hadn't talked about it. And so I've learned since then that God just wants me to abide in him, to be with him in my day. Um, he'll give me wisdom, how to do this marriage thing, how to do this mothering thing, how to be a friend, how to reach the world. But he wants to do it with me in my everyday normal life. So um, when we look at passages in the Bible about women, um, we find ones, really cool ones, like Proverbs 31. And um, she is described basically as a fierce influencer. Here's what it says. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And I love this part. It says she laughs at the time to come. You know what that means? It means that daily, moment by moment, 
she's walking with God. And she, gets, she comes to this place where she's learning to trust the God who made her and to live her daily life with him. So she's not afraid anymore. She's alive and she's free. She's shedding fear. She's not looking at the future in dread. Um, she laughs at the time to come. So we're going to look at this context here, Titus 2, 1 through 5, and kind of get a biblical picture of what this looks like, okay? Culture sometimes gives us a picture that's wrong about our roles of, as men and women. Uh, certainly, uh, sometimes even in church life, uh, we can get things misconstrued differently. So we're just going to dive into here, Titus 2, 1 through 5, and get a biblical picture for what we feel like this fierce influencer looks like in your homes, in your marriages, in your families. Context for this passage is this, the Roman Empire, marriage and family life was on the decline. Okay, crises are happening in marriages, in families all across society. Very, very similar, I think, to what we see in the world around us today. So let's read here verses 1 through 5 together. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Very similar to the things we kind of talked about last night, guys. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, there's some things and words in this passage that can evoke a lot of strong emotions, okay? Depending on how you were raised, I want to kind of unpack these things and what they were meant culturally at the time. I think what God's word intends for us, how to interpret them as we unpack this. So if you're feeling a little bit on edge, where are they going with this? I think if you stick with us here throughout, you'll see that we're giving this picture of an amazing opportunity to impact and influence the world in a really beautiful way. Again, I want us to notice the opening words here. This is very important. Paul is not asking Titus to give guidelines that fit the culture, but rather what accords with sound doctrine, God's word. When we think about any of these things, these truths that apply to our relationships, but how we operate as men and women, God's word has got to be our guiding influence for that, and this is what he's directing them to do. He talks about how older men should act, how older women should conduct themselves, but then he also calls on the older women to encourage their younger counterparts to very specific action. Because they've been through the rigors and strains of life, they've been able to see their families thriving, their husbands thriving, they've got an opportunity to influence their younger generation. Ladies in the room that are in that category, take that charge to heart. How can you come alongside the younger families in this church? And you've got a lot of them, okay? Every night we see this room flooded with kids. We know there's a lot of young uh, families in this room. These women, these moms need your encouragement, need wisdom from older sources that can input and give them counsel in these ways. Maggie, why do you think these younger women needed that encouragement when you think about your life right now? Well, when we look at, at this culture and time, the, to who they were writing, the culture was lessening the importance of these things. The culture was making this, these women feel like marriage or motherhood wasn't that important. Uh, raising humans, yeah, not that important. Keeping your family together, you know, why sacrifice for that? And now sometimes in our culture, we look at around in our culture, and depending on which type of church culture you're in, um, we elevate marriage or motherhood. And we unintentionally make women feel like if they're not married, if they're not bearing children, then they're not as important or they're lesser than, they can't be fulfilled. And that is not, that is also not God's heart. That is not true. But there are some parts in our culture, uh, you just get on Facebook, you'll find it, where uh, it makes you feel like if you are a wife and a mama, then what you're doing isn't so important, unless you're climbing a corporate ladder somewhere. Um, and 
we don't want to do that. We don't want to put our marriages and our children on the back burner. We want to have the right kinds of prior priorities. So we're going to unpack that a little bit. So these uh, priorities, I begin think begin looking here at Titus 2.4 where it says this. Train the young women to love their husbands and children. We believe the first step in that core responsibility is to begin to love earnestly. We're going to unpack that into two different categories. They say it here, the first one in the idea of being a husband. And this goes back to this idea of suitable helper, which we see uh, when God creates um, Eve back in uh, Genesis 2. A man, he says, it's not good for men to live alone. Um, Adam needs a helper fit for him. So he creates Eve, right, for him. And the word to use to describe that is this idea of suitable helper Maggie, talk a little about what that suitable helper means there in the ways that it's talking about that in Genesis. Okay, I love this because I grew up with, again, some weird notions of what that means. But um, this roots back to Genesis 2.18, like Brent said. Um, Today, when we think of helper, we think of gopher, assistant. You're the one that gets bossed around. Someone else has the important job, and you go do whatever they said. And so you kind of feel like a tag-along, and you're like, God, that's not very kind. Why are you calling me that? And so, um, but this is not actually what that word means here. Um, The original language, um, suitable helper, in Hebrew is ezer kenedko. And ezer actually means, when you break it down, it means a lifesaver, a very important role. Every time it's used in the Old Testament, It's used in this context of someone who is vitally important with powerful assistance. Um, It's a combination of two roots, to rescue and to save and strength. And here's what my favorite part of it is. Um, Ezra is in Psalm 21, Psalm 121, one of my favorite verses. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help, Ezer, comes from the Lord. He's the one who made the heavens and the earth. And if the God who made the heavens and the earth is not ashamed to be called our Ezer, then why are we ashamed to be an Ezer in this world and to our families and to our communities? And one important part of that is, guys, we obviously need a lot of help, right? We need a lot of Ezer in our life, and our wives can come alongside us in these ways and begin this beautiful picture of being a helper to us, because we need that help. Second part of that word, kenedgo, means one who stands in front of or opposite to. Okay, maybe not a term that sounds real pleasant on the surface, but we want to unpack that for you a little bit. The idea of someone who stands before you, facing you, opposite you. Not simply allowing you to go whichever direction you choose. Okay, this Ezra Kenedgo idea, if you've got that kind of relationship, your wife should be able to come alongside you and say, hey, the direction that you're going, the direction you're taking our marriage, the direction you're taking our family is not a helpful direction. You need to be turning and steering back from that. And there's been lots of times in our married life where I've needed Maggie to do just that for me to help me steer me in the right direction. A Kenedgo is someone who, con- who questions, confronts, challenges, and holds accountable. Ezra Kenedgo, you come alongside but you also get it in front of or you get in the way. It implies a struggle. The question is this. If you've been married any amount of time like we have, it's not a question of if you struggle, it's how you struggle. Are you struggling together? Are you on the same page? How do you struggle? You can either struggle against or you can struggle with because you know these life needs that kind of thing that works together. So this idea of Ezra Kenego, you are a help and you stand opposite to, but you make sure that we're headed the right direction. Ladies, we need you vitally in these relationships as our suitable helper to come alongside us in this way. What a beautiful picture that is. It helps if you do it in love. 
So. <laughs> That's true. Good point. All right. Second part here, uh, this idea of loving earnestly, I believe, is your children and actively nurturing them. No question that your children, especially young ones, and we've got four of them in our house, they need lots of personal attention, support, and love. And ladies, I believe you have a kind of love that only a mom can give. Okay, there's ways that you can replace and substitute a specific amounts of care that they need for a temporary season. But this long-term care and attention that you can give, God's given you those kids, only your love as a mom for them is the kind of love that they need long-term, lasting, and be able to provide that to them. Maggie, what comes to mind when you think of this? First of all, I think that a mother isn't necessarily someone who bears, physically bears life. A mother is someone who nurtures, who shows up and nurtures the life around her, and every woman can be a mother. But um, we all know that children need the awesome power of being there unleashed on them. So I told you I was adopted when I was seven. I was abandoned a lot all, all growing up to seven. And so now that I'm a mama and I see how vitally important it is that, that I am there for my children, that I don't walk out on them, that I pay attention to them, that I nurture them. Healthy child development requires a close, loving, and sustained relationship with at least one person during childhood. And so Titus 2 just indicates that if God gave you kids, if God uh, gave you a husband, you be there. You show up. Even when you want to go hide in the closet, and sometimes I do that for a little while. But you go back out and you show up again. And you don't walk out and you don't run away from them. Um, this is our important work. This is our meaningful work. Um, it doesn't mean we don't work outside the home. Um, doesn't mean we don't reach the world in other ways. I'm a writer, and I reach the world through writing. But first, um, because God gave me kids and because God gave me a husband, that's my main job right now. And I love it when I go to the grocery store and I get weird looks because we have four, so we're almost in like a cult or something, you know. <laughs> and, um, and, but almost every time I'm out in public, somebody says to me, enjoy, that goes by really fast. And you'd think I'd get tired of hearing it, but I actually don't because I need to be reminded again and again that we only get to have them for just a little while. You really do blink, and it goes by. And so um, since I've been given some kids to raise, we, just, we make sure that their needs are met. We don't put them on the back burner and, work and meet all the world's needs while we leave them hungry for love and affection. That would not be God's heart. I think I said it all. Okay. So one of the things that we're so excited and encouraged when we see this, but Maggie kind of unpacked that, just because God has not given you an earthly husband or earthly kids does not mean there's not amazing ways that you can unpack this love earnestly passage that we see here. God's given you an incredibly big capacity to love those around you. Those that are fostering an adoption, we're cheering for you. Okay, Maggie's from that background. Continue in those pursuits. The best thing about serving in ministry and traveling around this country, we meet people that have incredible stories, people that are in the, the early 20s that have adopted sibling groups of six. Okay, teenagers all the way down to newborns. Okay, we've met couples like that. That takes an incredible amount of love from that uh, wife's heart to be able to pour into her husband continually and adopt this sibling group. If you're later in life, there's lots of kids around here that need your love and your care in nursery and during Sunday mornings, but a lot of ways that these young families can be benefited from your ongoing love and support for them too. So think about ways that you can be pouring into them in this way. Second part of this Titus passage uh, says this. Look at verse five with us. So how should this look? To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, 
the word of God may not, may not be reviled. I think the way this kind of looks is you begin to resport, uh, support uh, respectfully. Okay, in your marriage relationships, this is the kind of picture that it's going to paint, this beautiful picture of God in the world. We're going to unpack that here for a minute. First way we think you do that is by this idea of submitting, which is lifting up. Again, uh, this idea of support sometimes has negative connotations as well. But what we see in ministry, particularly our kind of ministry, is that we have supporters. Okay, we've let you know about our opportunity to support and partner with us financially as a team here ministering this week. Maggie and I have shared that we're missionaries serving you here this week. We have supporters that make this possible for us. Let me tell you right now, we could not be here doing what we do if not for those people that have supported us financially. This term support sometimes gets a negative connotation, but here's a definition of support. It means that you bear the weight of, you hold up, you enable to function, you provide with the necessities of life, you give approval, comfort, or encouragement to, you give financial assistance. We have for supporters, we ask for supporters, little to nothing gets done without them. So the idea that you're called to support in these ways is, again, not a demeaning term, but an encouraging term to say you are essential to the work that God has called you to do collectively in this thing called a marriage, this thing called a family. Uh, this term called submission here, we're going to unpack that for a minute because I think, again, there's a lot of negative connotation this gets culturally and sometimes it's church culture as well. So we're going to start here by talking about some things that submission is not. Okay, again, there's a lot of ways it's been misused in relationships. I've um, got negative connotation culturally, and we want to unpack some things that it is not. Okay, first of all, ladies, I want you to know that submission that you're called to here is not inferiority to your husband. You are not a lesser person, a lesser human being, because you're called to submit. Again, it's just a simple, different uh, way that you function and that you operate in your homes. It no, mean, no matter means that you're inferior to your husband. Second of all, it does not mean that you lose your identity in Christ. Okay, you're equally valuable and necessary uh, in the kingdom of God as any man is, as your husband is. You do not lose your identity in Christ simply because you're called to submit. Third one is this. You sometimes consider that you have to lose or give up your personality. Now, maybe if you're operating out of a lot of pride and anger and have control issues, maybe you need to give up some of that part of your personality. But in general, who you are as a person, how God's uniquely created and wired you to be, this call to submission is not giving up those things. You do need to check our heart, attitudes, and motivations. But again, this calling to submit is not losing your personality. And finally, the most important one is this. It is not blind obedience to sinful or questionable activity. You want to get me riled up pretty quickly if you hear me have a conversation with a guy that's trying to let encourage their wife to submit to him and so that he can continue to go on sinning. That'll get me worked up pretty quick. Okay? Submission is not blind obedience to sinful or questionable activity. Again, this idea of a kinedgo, someone that stands opposite to, implies that you actually have a role to play to make sure that your husband is headed the right direction and not, not going in a way that's destructive for their own soul or the souls of their family or those around them. Okay? Not blind obedience to sinful or questionable activity. You have freedom in these relationships to make sure that your husband is headed the right direction. This idea of submission is not these things. So maybe you're asking this question, what is submission? But Maggie, do you want to tell a story about kind of your view on that? Oh, I just wanted to amen what he's saying. I, I went to a church for a little while where submission was like you're a dorm, doormat. And um, we, we have a voice, and God wants us to use it. And just to reiterate, if, if you're not safe, God wants us to be safe. So, so submission, I believe, is this is the best understood, the definition that I've kind of come up with um, or seen related to what submission is. It's understanding your power and using it to influence and build up your husband and family. Okay, ladies, I don't know if you realize it or not, but you have incredible power, incredible ability to influence, okay? It's a big responsibility to kind of shepherd and take care of and steward properly 
understanding that power and using it to build up your, God-given, your husband's God-given role to lead and to help build your family so that you can be on mission for God together and advance his kingdom around the world. That's what we believe submission is to look like. Second way we believe that you're called uh, to support respectfully is by this, uh, managing the home. We again see that in verse 5. Again, this has some negative connotations in culture. Um, this idea of managing the home and this term of nesting that sometimes we, we hear described of women took on a new uh, picture for me. When we were first dating, uh, I went to Maggie's apartment and uh, she, her house, her apartment bathroom was filled with about a thousand bird's nests. Okay? It was like maybe 30. No, it was about 1,000. I remember, I, I'm an accountant, I counted how many there were um, in about 10 minutes. But um, bathroom was covered that because Maggie loves nature, loves the outdoors, so she decided to deck her, decorate her bathroom uh, with nature. So this idea of nesting has taken up some new meaning in our marriage relationship. I'm uh, down this to is, like 10 now in our house, so I've yeah. toned it down a little bit. Yeah, they sit in our kitchen. I'm not sure that's up to health safety codes, but the, there they are anyway. So Maggie, why don't you share a little about what that idea of managing the home uh, would look like? Yeah, so when I think about a home, um, again, I think about a nest, and I told you guys I named my little girl Haven. We named her Haven, and that means safe place, and what a home is, what a nest is, is it's like a cup for holding life. It's a place where you you can land, and you can grow, and you can become, and, um, and so we want our home, however we manage it, we just want it to be a place where our kids want to be and where our husband is glad to come home to, and where our neighbors like to come to our house because they are loved and they are accepted and, um, and challenged, but in loving ways. So that's our picture is um, we can fail together here, but we're always safe, we're always secure, and we get to keep belonging in that place. Third and final thing I think we see here in verse 5, and I love this the most, that the word of God may not be reviled. Why is this so important? Because I believe in these ways, ladies, that you have an incredible opportunity to represent God to the world. A way that we as men do not. Okay, when you come alongside in these ways of influencing fiercely, of loving earnestly, of supporting respectfully, you get to paint a picture of God to the world that doesn't otherwise exist. A picture of Christ to the world that doesn't otherwise exist. Beautiful picture in these ways that we see here. Don't miss how beautiful that is. This idea of being self-controlled, pure and kind that we see early in verse 5, you get to paint this amazing picture of God to the world when you come alongside your husband in these ways so that the word of God is not reviled but is advanced around the world. You have that incredible opportunity to be able to do that. Now again, we gave a word to the ladies last night uh, in relation to how to help your husbands in these ways. A word for guys tonight. Here's what I'm learning and how to help Maggie become the fiercest influencer possible. Because I've seen time and time again that she has an incredible capacity to reach people to reach the world with the gospel that I just can't have. I would love to be able to communicate as transparently and smoothly and openly as she does. I just don't have that. I'd love to be able to connect with people as naturally and easily as she does, but I don't have that. So here's what I'm learning. The best way that I can begin is doing that is by leading well. Okay, when I'm walking towards God, when I'm following those steps that we talked about last night, providing the right direction, the right pace, the right care and environment for her and for my kids, I'm able to lead well. She's able to be at her best to influence fiercely. When I love her unconditionally, when I'm not just feeling those emotions, but when I'm putting those things into action, taking interest in the things that she's interested in, asking her ways that she feels like God is leading her to influence the world, and giving up sacrificially to see that happen, I'm doing that well. And there's been other times where I've just felt like there's points where I just can't get through to her. I don't know what else to say, what else to do. I've found that the best way I can do that is begin to pray. As we told you ladies last night, same thing with the guys. Guys, you are not your wife's Holy Spirit. 
Continue to pray and ask God to move and work in your wife's heart. Maybe you're asking God right now for breakthroughs in some ways. Continue to intercede for your wife. Ask God to make changes in the way. You can always pray and see God do an amazing thing. Mags, I love you. I know how much you love the outdoors and nests. So this last picture, again, is for you. Uh, This picture of a tree, I think, is a picture of how this marriage harmony works well. Husbands and wives together, this beautiful picture that we see here on the screen. Guys, when we're doing this well, when we're leading well, we provide the base, the structure, and the direction, okay? We're the trunk and the branches of this tree, okay? The ways that this tree is going always depends on the trunk and the structure. I believe that's true in in our lives. Ladies, you come alongside and fiercely influencing. You can help shape the direction that we're going. You are like the leaves of this tree. You're nourishing. You're supporting. You're providing the beauty behind this tree. Okay, these trees die without the leaves. Okay, there's nothing, there's no point behind them. They'll die without the leaves to provide the nourishment. They help us determine the direction that we're going as you influence correctly. And then you paint this beautiful picture to the world like a a tree full of leaves that we see uh, when it's flourishing well. A beautiful picture of the world of what the gospel looks like and how God wants our marriages to look. In the supporting, the nourishing, under the protection and leadership, there is an incredible picture of beauty. That's a challenge and call that we want to give you guys and have you see tonight. In relation to this, what can you do? Here's our life in action moment for tonight. Again, guys, last night, I've heard already so many testimonies. You can begin to pray with your wives. Thank you for taking on that challenge. I believe your relationships will continue to be changed. New conversations will be taking place. You're leading well in those ways. I want to tell you right now, there's people in your leadership team here who have come to me and said, I began uh, for the first time in a long time praying with my wife again. You're not alone in those steps. Begin to continue walking down that path in those ways. But ladies, same way, before you go to bed tonight, why tonight? Because again, your life will get busy tomorrow and chaotic tomorrow. Think about how you can put these things into, into shape tonight. Ask yourself this question, what needs to change in order for me to earnestly love my husband and children? What in my schedule or my routine or my activities or my commitments needs to go away so that I can better focus on loving my husband and children better? For some of you, that means I might need to have a complete career change. I may not be able to give that kind of a time and attention they need because we're too focused right now on keeping up with the Joneses. We need this income. We can't keep up uh, having the phase, the, the, the type of lifestyle that we want to live if I don't have this income. Maybe it's not the Joneses. Maybe it's the Yoders here, okay, in Paradise, Pennsylvania. But maybe that's the kind of change that you need to make, an adjustment to your schedule so that you can provide that. Maybe it's just a mind shift change of being able to put on more of Christ in your life in these ways. Ask yourself what needs to change in order for me to love my earnestly love my husband and children. Second question is this. Ask your husband, what can I do to encourage you as a leader of our home? I'm telling you, probably some of you have never asked that question, and your husband uh, may be stuttering at first, okay? We're not always good at getting our words out right away. Give them time to think about that, time to give you a response, but I believe they'll be able to help you see how you can come alongside them and help them in their leadership going forward. Again, don't just ask the question, then begin to make those changes as God lays it on your heart to do that. Mags, I'm going to have you close for us here in prayer, and then we're going to invite the kids in to worship together tonight. So one of my favorite prayers in the Bible is super short, and it was by a lady, and this is what she said. Lord, help. And, and the scriptures say that that was her worship. And so, Father, as a form of worship, it's our simple prayer. Lord, help. We want to be lovers and healers in this world. Would you help us? Bless us. In Jesus' name, amen.